I feel like I'm proper director. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yo, my name's Carl. Welcome to the one. Uh, okay, let's try it again. Let's sound like I've been. I've done this before. Okay. Um, hi, my name's Carl. Welcome to the one where show. Welcome back to the one where show. On the buttons we got Arslan. Hello. He's back. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my Dude, we missed you. I mean, oh, the thank you. The substitute teachers were also really good, but like you are an essential part of this family. Like, where were oh, you? Thank you. Um, so I went to like Georgia and Ukraine, mm -hmm. and yeah, just spent some time off. It's been really nice getting back into traveling, and yeah, just nice to get out of London for a bit. It's really important. <laughs> and now you're back with me. Oh. Yes. <laughs> So, how question? How um, when we left off? Uh, because we still got the challenge for you to do a hundred gigs by the end of the year. How many are you up to right now? Um, probably like thirty-five ish. Thirty-five ish. Okay, so let's get that. Go <laughs> let's keep going with that. So, any promoters out there listening, get Arsene on your gigs. He's really good. All right. So let's get into it. Um, today's guest in the hot seat is a very special one. Um. Mr. Lee Van Glane, welcome to the show. Hello there. <laughs> did I get your name? Did I get your name right? Close enough. I uh, mean, there's lots of there's lots lots to unpack with the name Van, Van Glane. Van Glane. Yeah. Van Glane. So where is that from? That's a Dutch name. Okay. My dad's Dutch. My dad's Dutch Indonesian. Dutch Indonesian. So all kinds going on. That yeah. is one hell of a mix. It is, but also quite a common mix. On like unusually, it's like. A lot of Dutch Indonesian people, because the Dutch East Indies was a thing years ago, so a lot of, I mean, colonization. Jeez. But it's, we, my dad's a product of that. We just know. became a geography podcast real quick. We did. <laughs> just quick at the, at the start. Yeah, that's really cool, though. So how have you found... So um, I've, got to ask, I've got to ask this. As I feel like a mixed race person. So how did you find out growing up with dual heritage? To be honest, I wasn't really aware of of anything that made a difference because I appear white uh, and I am white. Because I, 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 <laughs> I was going to say. But, but, but the thing is, I, I, I'm like 20% 20, 20 Indonesian. Okay. Uh, because my dad's mum is Indonesian. Yeah. But I never met them. Okay. And I never met my dad's Dutch family or anything like that. So okay. I just grew up completely British and my dad was sort of integrated into my British family. Okay. Uh, so really, I didn't have any feelings about it until I was old enough to understand the different, like my dad's sort of history and where he grew up and came from. And so it hasn't really affected me in any way, but I've thought about it more in recent times than I have mm. when I was a kid growing up. Did he sit you down at like 21 and say, son, I've got some news to break to you. <laughs> You're not the all powerful race that you thought you were. <laughs> Damn. And I sunk in my chair. My mom was like, you can't. No, it, it he didn't. It just came out over a matter of time. Like it was so, such a casual thing. I thought, oh, Indonesian. Well, it's, you know, I didn't know. Like I don't even know if that like made an impact on sort of my race in any way. And 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 it doesn't to me because it's I'm so disconnected from it. Hmm. But it wasn't like an event. Okay. Where he sat me down and was like, "This is what it is." It was just information that came out of time. I think even my mum was. It could have been just questions I asked. Okay. Um, and why? Why is my hair quite light and my <laughs> eyebrows and beard grow really dark? Mm. Uh, and that's because my mum is the whitest person ever. <laughs> and my dad does look of Asian heritage. Okay. So, uh, uh, but obviously, there's such a mix going on. It's sort of 
Triple down, but uh, I, dye, I, I dye my hair dark to match my eyebrows usually anyway. As I gaze lovingly into your eyes, I can kind of see the Asian but side of you. It, it's, it's weird. It, it is across the eyes, and it's weird because my hair is dark and kind of darker now and matches my eyebrows. Mm. Um, and when I say sometimes to people, oh, I'm, I'm actually like nearly a quarter Indonesian, usually the reaction is, what? You'll never <laughs> know that. But when I, since I started dyeing my hair a bit darker, this, this comment was said to me, uh, oh yeah, I could tell there was something going on. <laughs> yeah, which I'm like, oh, just something going on. I don't know if that's is that a bad thing. I don't, I, <laughs> uh, it's a thing. Yeah, as someone who's had many things happen to them in their life, it's just we'll just call it a thing. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, Nothing. I found it amusing more than anything to it be is. honest. But. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. It's just like yeah, oh yeah, I, I know something, but wasn't sure where it was. Takes like. a little nudge to to work it out. Yeah, yeah, all good though. All right, so. Yeah, well. Um, you're an actor by trade. I am an actor by trade. Very luckily, it's, oh. a, it's a not. It's I feel very lucky to be saying that that's my my sort of <laughs> day job, pretty much, because that's rare. Because mm. I as some sort of weird statistic that only and there's only two percent uh, of actors in it, in the UK are actually earning a living from yeah. doing it on solely just acting, which. Makes me feel very lucky, but yeah, that's what I do. Because yeah. there must be like so many just like working and slaving and in insert cotton big chain coffee name here. Yeah, who oh. are still trying to call themselves actors, but really are not earning or not acting. It's it's kind of the same, like because I, I I'm very new to the comedy scene, but it's the mm. same thing. It's like. If you start saying you can't call yourself a comedian mm. unless you start earning your full wage from it. Yeah. Then no, hardly anyone can. That's until true. Until a certain point, it's the same with acting. That's true. If you've done a job and put in some work, yeah, because it's a vocation, isn't it? Really, at mm. the end of the day. So if you've put in a lot of work, yeah, I think you can call yourself whatever you want uh, and identify professionally as whatever you want. Mm. You don't necessarily have to be earning all no. kinds of money from it. But you're right. It, you're right. It, it, not many actors are working solely from acting. There's a lot of people in the coffee shops. I worked mm. in TGI Fridays on and off for four years. Shout out to TGI. Like yeah. Banging mozzarella dip. Oh, yeah. And I still go back to this day. I've never been bored of it. Which one was it? I worked at the O2. Oh, so very fancy. Have to judge the clientele uh, depending on what event was on mm. <laughs> at the O2. So that I could be like, right, I wonder if I earn any tips tonight. Yeah. So what was the worst event you had to work? Cliff Richard. Cliff Richard. Yeah. Holy shit. Why? Just the clientele for Cliff Richard. I don't imagine, first of all, that's really upset me a little bit because you don't, Cliff Richard's clientele, don't strike me as a type <laughs> to go and get an eight rack of ribs on a Friday night. This is what's strange. I think it's because TGI Fridays, because when you're at the O2, you've got a long list of options that are there. Yeah. And you just kind of go to the one that's convenient. Well, or, it is like literally, because it's next to the Cineworld. So I, don't, I, yeah. don't know, I can't believe I know the layout of the O2 arena. <laughs> <laughs> Like, but I've been there enough times to know that the TGI Fridays is next to the cinema, which is about a three-minute walk away from the actual entrance to the yeah. actual arena itself. They've picked a good location. They have, yeah. But then they've got Nando's. They've got Nando's across the road from it. Got, it's a. If you're looking for like very weirdly okay slash shit food, the Ota Arena is a good place to go, ladies and oh, gentlemen. Yeah. Do oh that. yeah. God, yeah. 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 But carry on. So what was it about um, Cliff Richard's clientele which made the Marshalls? They wanted a lot of wine. At TGI at Fridays. Exactly, exactly. They wanted a lot of wine. And we ran out of wine glasses. Quick. 
because it, nearly every table was asking for wine and people were backed up at the bar. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of stroppiness yep. and entitlement uh, from the sort of older generations yep. of people who w- weren't enjoying the vibe to start with. At a T- I, I think they were begrudged to be even in there. At a TGI yeah. Fridays. Yeah. Like, they do know that there is a perfectly good wine bar just down the, like, down the strip. And it was probably just completely rammed, so they were forced to just... So they were already late, probably, mm-hmm. already annoyed that they couldn't get into the place they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So they had to resort to go to TGI Fridays. Oh. And that already we were losing at that point. You know? <laughs> did, you, did, you have to, did you serve any famous people? I've served Harry Styles Ooh. on his 17th birthday <laughs> just after... Uh, they'd been on the X Factor, One Direction. So yeah. it wasn't mega famous. Perhaps yet. we've perhaps you've heard of them. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, but I made him stand on a chair and I sang Happy Birthday to him in front of the whole restaurant. <laughs> and then all the girls in the restaurant worked out who he was from the X Factor and started crowding him for pictures. I was like, mm, oh, sorry, oh, mate. How how was that experience? It was good actually. It was it was because he was such a like nice nice guy and his family were lovely. Um, but he was just getting known, mm. and uh, and the managers were like, "Oh, I, I, it's Harry Styles from the X Factor. He's famous now. He's famous now. You've got to like really, really look after him." Okay, I will. Uh, and he said, "Oh, can I have an Oreo milkshake? But I want to take it away." And at Teacher Friday, we don't do takeaways. We're a restaurant. When here. it's Harry Styles, you do takeaways. But, but we didn't have any takeaway cups, so I, I had to run down to the Starbucks at the O2 and be like, <laughs> "Can I have a cup?" Please. And I poured I poured a Oreo milkshake into this cup. There's a potential pop star in my <laughs> yeah. restaurant. Please. Uh, and he, 17 year old Harry Styles himself, shook my hand, and in his hand was a 20 pound note. For that me. is such a <laughs> baller move. Yeah. So it was, that that was I was like he's gonna he's gonna carry this vibe for the rest of his life, and it looks like he has. Yeah. He's he's big stuff now. He's huge. Yeah, he's done all right for himself. Yeah, he? that's my claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what has been your oh, so when did you get the acting bug sorry that's the one I wanted to go to early early my mum worked in theatre uh, on wigs and makeup mm-hmm. so I spent my whole childhood sort of sitting in and around theatres looking at all the props and thinking it was cool and then as soon as I got old enough I and I was always being silly at home and my, my nan used to run a charity group acting wise it was just mm-hmm. ingrained in my family I think so I was used to being silly and dressing up and mm. then when it came to options of doing it at school I was like yeah, yeah of course I'm doing it so since I can remember to be honest been mm. acting cool Arsene have you done any acting? Uh, no not really okay no. well like some like because I studied like um, film in, in uni and like uh, we would just like do occasional stuff or like when I'd be uh, uh, what's it called? Like auditioning, like actors. I would have to do a bit of acting. Did you have to do really. the casting couch? <laughs> <laughs> not different type of couch. Yeah. Different type of couch. Okay, we'll talk about that later. There's only one type of couch. There's only one type of couch. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. Oh, okay. Is that a story we're gonna leave for later? Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> Too t- explicit. We'll put, even. Do you know what we'll do? Awesome. We're gonna put that story. We're gonna put it on the table, and maybe we'll pick it up later. Maybe we won't. Okay. <laughs> Cool. All right, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so when did, so you started doing it when you was in school, right? Yeah. Okay. So school plays and that kind of shit. School plays, but I went to an all boys school, secondary school. So a lot of dames then. So well, kind of. We we did like a Shakespeare festival, hmm. and we did Macbeth, because the only real significant female character in the Scottish is, play is the Scottish we play I don't say. believe in that don't I you? don't believe in that you work in the theatre exactly I'm going against <laughs> it 
Well, your funeral, literally, sir. Your funeral. Well, well so be it. I, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, it was a heavy male play, but there was always Lady Macbeth to cast, and it was actually really good to get a group of guys mm. working and, and playing women, but seriously. So it wasn't like Panto Dame. It was straight acting. Yeah. Like, we were playing it for real. They just happened to be playing a woman. Mm. Uh, and I thought like that was really good for, for young guys to work out mm. certain freedoms of expression yeah, and exploratory things mentally, like whether they wanted to go into acting or not. So I appreciated that. But Is that your way of saying, I love playing Lady Macbeth? I never did play Lady Macbeth. Ah. I, was, I was Macduff. Uh, so I got to kill Macbeth, which was fun. Yeah. Um, but the guys that did play Lady Macbeth approached it, like for, for like 15-year-old boys, approached it with such like maturity... And no one ever got silly and thought, oh, I'm playing a lady or anything. It was. I feel really lucky that I was at a school that was... And it wasn't even like a great school. It was a school where loads of kids got sent after they got kicked out of their other school. Ah, but, but so it was, it, a pro, was it a referral unit? It wasn't a referral unit. It was that sort of in the middle ground. Where okay. It was a school that was no one's first choice. Okay. Um, but it wasn't the worst. And it turns out they were good at the arts mm. subjects and sort of teaching young guys to be able to express themselves yeah. in in other ways. So I feel very lucky to have been been there. But it started there really and then mm. it you suddenly leave school, don't you, and then go, Well, I've been that's what I enjoy the most. That's all I cared about. I can't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. That that's kinda of weird thing though, like with kids who do misbehave, because I've done I've been in that position before yeah. and I've done and I've worked with kids like that before. Um that they do often love those kind of subjects like art and music like art like the arts and music and drama right? yeah because they get to express themselves isn't that exactly. right exactly and it's like it's a play thing mm. so like where they're always stifled in classroom situations yeah and authority figures are the enemy for yeah. for, for people who just want to play and can't respond to the sort of general academic teachings of sit down mm. read write listen yeah people learn by exploring physicality and communication, which is what it all teaches you. So, which is why it's the people that don't respond well to the sort of rigid academic system, and therefore become trouble children mm. in in schools where it's just so strict. Yeah, find a freedom in in that, and there's rarely misbehaviour in that way because you're encouraged to play mm. and encouraged to be silly and say things that you wouldn't be allowed to say in. In a normal context. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and and then that teaches you then about life and what people respond to in real life as well, because it mm. translates easily into real life. What's been your worst gig? My worst gig, comedy. Or no, a- acting. Because <laughs> so that's hard to even. <laughs> uh, but acting wise, I did a, I did an opera, uh, at the Finborough oh. Theatre. Wow. Yeah, in uh, <laughs> called the Immortal Hour. Which was uh, it's a hundred year old um, folk opera, Irish folk opera. That sounds. I'd pay. I feel like I'd pay good money just to see how shit that was. To be honest, the music was beautiful because it was because I like that sort of. It was like a forest fairy type thing, very ethereal, very Mm. like magical, Uh, and the Irish folk sound is beautiful, but the. The director 
I wasn't sure. I don't think he knew what he was doing with it. And it mm-hmm. was very exploratory. And everyone involved just, it got to a point in the rehearsals where we were like, oh dear. Oh dear. This, this, we've just got to humour this <laughs> because it, it, we've just got to throw ourselves in 100% mm. and have a laugh with it to keep our sanity. What was it? Was it the hours or was it the... It, it was just the way it was directed and laid out. And we thought, we don't even understand this, where this is going. Mm. Uh, and the rehearsals were so sporadic that we couldn't really get into a flow of oh, how to grasp the material properly and find any meaning in it. Mm. It was just very performative, which sounds weird because it's supposed to be, but yeah. there was no truth in it. It was just like, what is this? We're just singing <laughs> a load of uh, a load of stuff that we don't really know that the director understands him, himself. Mm. Uh, but full houses every night yeah and good reviews <laughs> which we we thought this is going to get the worst reviews ever yeah we're going to ha- hope this never sees the light of day mm. but the opera crowd enjoyed it i think because it's a bit different do you think that there's something to be said that like the more of a good time you have on a project the le- the sometimes the outcome is the the worst the outcome Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Because it's a false... Uh, you get led into down a false sense of security because mm. if you're like, oh, I love this group of people, this is so much fun, yeah, that um, you can get carried away with that. Yeah. And then when it comes to the final product, people from the outside sit looking in mm. might not see that same connection. And the material might not be great. Mm. It is, is quite... is honestly it. But a lot, that's rare. To be to be honest, now I think about it, that is rare. Yeah. But it can happen, and it has happened because we had a great we had great fun after we accepted that this is going to be bad mm. on that on that particular job. Mm. Um, but then it turned out not to get such a bad reaction anyway. But I think maybe that is because we bonded well, mm. and people can see it, and it's infectious, isn't it? That kind of. I think maybe that's more to do with comedy films and things mm-hmm. and things like that. Like the more. The more in the outtakes you can see the actors laughing and high fiving themselves yeah. on the screen. Yeah, it's a bit like, okay, why was that? Why did that not? Tra- it's all great that you were having a great time, but we just paid fifteen quid to see you, and it just wasn't there. Why? Yeah, but at, film is a different thing altogether. Yeah. I think because you're not catching any feelings and spark in mm. that moment. Yeah, I've only I've only done theatre, which is so raw and happening in front of you mm. that the feelings of camaraderie and chemistry do pop off the stage yeah and and land in the audience mm. there and then uh, and on a day where that's particularly buzzing mm. the audience will feel it do you think that most do you think that there are times where a theater run is cut too short because or, or uh, the because it wasn't given too much time to grow um, I, in com- Not- in commercial theatre, yeah. Um, no, because it, that was all about making money yeah. from the producer's point of view. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, because sometimes a show is wonderful, mm. it's just not getting the audience in. Yeah. And it will just get cut dead, and suddenly it will be like, oh, this show's closing, yeah. and loads of people are losing their jobs like that. Okay. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. The stuff that's not given the time to grow is more stuff that starts at uh, at Edinburgh or. Mm. or it on the London fringe circuit. 
There's a London fringe. Uh, for for theatre, there is oh, like there's okay, a lot cool. of fringe fringe venues. Yeah. That run all year, like the Union Theatre and and the Finborough Theatre, where I did that opera. And the Soho Theatre as well. Soho Theatre does. It's it's the same sort of sort of thing. The Many a Chocolate Factory, Southwark Playhouse. They put on shows where, if you're an actor in those shows, you're not going to earn any money, but you do it with the hope that a producer will pick it up, and then transfer it to a bigger venue where there can be cash involved. Yeah, I can hear you, buddy. <laughs> oh, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, if you want an idea of how much Arsene cares about this, about this role, <laughs> that, that that last ten seconds of audio tells you everything. He's like, oh, who are you talking to? Who are you, to- who are you talking oh, to? I thought I had a headphone in. What? No, it was it was my friend. It was your Just friend. Sent me a voice message, but ah, who's I thought your friend? It was in my headphone. Who was your friend? His friend from home. Ah, okay. <laughs> what was he saying? I couldn't understand because I. Couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you uh, speak the language, and even you can understand. Because uh, no, there's some actor banging on about yeah. theaters <laughs> in, in, in theater. That's what's going on. I was wondering, like, what? Uh, this... I thought it was my headphone. No, I guess it wasn't. I, I was listening. I was listening to this. I was listening to you speak, and then I was hearing this like little buzzing sound in my ear. I was like, "What the? F- like, are we picking up like things from NASA or some shit?" But, like, <laughs> no. Okay. So, who who was the friend, and how long have you known him for? Ooh, I've known him for a long while. He's a okay. friend that I like just met from home. Okay. And yeah. Can we give him a shout out? Here? We're gonna give him a shout out here. Yeah, sure. Yes. What's his name? It's Mirzoif Amir. <laughs> Mirzoif Amir. Hi. You just <laughs> yeah. made your first appearance wow. on a podcast. Congratulations. You will not expect that. He will not expect stuck. No. Thanks it's, for that. It's in the top ten percent of comedy interview podcasts worldwide. Just so you know, you're now a very very big deal, sir. Because of Arsene's fuck up. God knows why I'm on here then. <laughs> <laughs> when that information comes in. <laughs> oh my god. All right, if you want to get your friends on here, just ask me, Arsene. Okay. This is a free this is yes. a bit of a free for all. Yeah? Like just phone them up halfway through the thing and then just be like, yeah, I've got my friend who wants to speak. I will let I'm not gonna stop this. <laughs> I'm not gonna edit it out. This is how this is how it's gonna go. Yeah. Right? This you, is the show. Yeah, this is it. This is how it goes. Excellent. This is, uh, <laughs> right. So the reason I asked was because I just remember like um, a certain musical about a certain British girl band mm. years and a few years a few years ago. Yeah, which I was quite excited about because I was like, I love this band. This band, despite thinking of back of it now, I know about five of their songs. <laughs> yeah, but that's because. Everyone really only knows about five of their songs, unless you're like a proper super fan. That is true. That is true. Um, like, but that, and I don't want to say the name just in case you get any repercussions from it. But like, yeah, um, that got cut after about three, about four weeks, five weeks, didn't it? Yeah, that was that was one of the biggest examples of that happening. Of that yeah. sort of just sudden, they'd set up this big thing, and it was in a prime location it was hyped to all hell like it was, yeah. it was that was going to be massive yeah and yeah it was a few weeks in I think maybe they'd done previews mm. opened on the press night and then a few weeks after that bang yeah because the press kind of got to it didn't they badly they ripped it to shreds and I never saw it Me I, never, I never saw it I was working at the time and you don't I, if you're if you're in the business, you don't like unless it's something you have a real connection to. And if you're yeah. working as an actor, it's hard to actually get tickets to see things because you're working at the same time. Yeah. 
So I was like, I'll go and see that when I have some time off. But then I never got the chance. Mm. Even though like I, whether that was deserved or not, I'll never know. But mm. the critics went to town on it yeah. in a bad, bad, bad way. Yeah, the script as well. They went to town on the script. I mean, that because it was a script by um, what's her name? Um, Jennifer Saunders. Jennifer Saunders. That's yeah. right. I was going to say Julie Andrews, but like she isn't right. Um, <laughs> <What's> she, <laughs> Julie Andrews, no. Jennifer, yeah, Jennifer Saunders, yeah. and it was produced by Judy Kramer. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, it, it had big credentials because it was meant to be like the new Mamma, the next Mamma Mia, wasn't it? It what? was. Yeah, it was. And the thing, the thing with Mamma Mia though is, is that. That's a jukebox musical, mm. like like uh, Viva Forever was going to be. I'm saying it. Okay, cool. <laughs> there we go. People know what we're talking about at this point. Ah, maybe I think they'd have probably forgotten about it until now. Well, like, we're bringing it back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's bring Viva Forever back. Let's Fuck do it. it. Okay. Gen- Jennifer Saunders is around the corner from me doing Blythe Spirit at the okay. Hell Theatre, okay. so I could actually knock on the stage door and be like, "Hey, Jen." Come on now. Come on now. Yeah. And you've got Judy Kramer on speed dial, right? It, well, I, I haven't, but I know people who do. Oh. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But for the record, I couldn't I couldn't make that call happen. I'd be like, well, <laughs> I'm not going to ask, though. No. <laughs> I know who's got the number. Oh, nice. Won't be using it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so that was that situation. But like, jukebox musicals are like a real art. They're a mixed bag, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends what the script is like and what mm. the plot is like. If if it weaves like Jersey Boys, yeah, is my favourite example of a of a jukebox musical yeah. that works brilliantly mm-hmm. because it's about the story of the band. Yeah, and people are interested in that, and and the music in it then makes mm. sense. You don't have to shoehorn the songs and the lyrics into and, a plot. And there's but, not a character called Skarmish Fandango. No, there isn't. <laughs> there isn't. Uh, but which is cheating. By the way, <laughs> it's cheating, Mr. Elton. It is fucking cheating. <laughs> you work it into the script. You don't call a character by names like that, okay? But this is what I mean about jukebox musicals and the shoehorning of mm. things in there. And my, and but I have a lot of time for them as yeah. well, like it, because we will rock you. I I actually love because yeah. when you go and see that show, the singing is. It has to be off the charts. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you won't have a show. Yeah. So they have the best singers, like, in, in like who can sing that material mm. they possibly can get. That's why it's always touring, and it's always, uh, it was on in town for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and Mamma Mia is always a hit with people, so I have respect for it, but I think for it to be really effectively, effective artistically, mm. uh, it has to have a plot that runs alongside it and, and beautiful the Carol King story is another mm. one that's like Jersey Boys in where yeah. it's about the artist. And um, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages is, I mean, that, that's another, a bit of a mixed bag of, yeah. of things, but that's a good night out of the theatre. It, it is, yeah. And I think there's a lot of snobs in the theatre who are like, oh no, I just think that that's just cannon fodder for, for people who just want a good, good time. What, nothing and, but a good time? Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> Nothing but a good time. Yeah. Because you know what? It don't get better than this. <laughs> you got to set you up again, perfectly. Yeah. Again, like they, again, that was a cheat. They cheated with that because they called a character Sherry Christian. And you if you are a bit of a fan of 80s rock, if you're not, then that will mean nothing <laughs> to you. But if you are, yeah, that's that's a cheating again. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like, I, the, I think the best musicals are the ones that mm. are just story-led, narrative-driven, and the songs are written around that. But yeah. with jukebox musicals, that goes out the window immediately. Yeah. Um, 
Because we've got to build it around pre-written songs. Exactly, exactly. But that that's that sort of just backs up why I prefer jukebox stuff that is not is not molded into something that the songs weren't originally about mm. which i think i think viva forever was probably doing mm. uh, in a way in the same way there's the take that musical never forget what there, yeah never forget that was i think maybe early 2000s 2005 maybe well, or something like that. well that title was a bit redundant isn't it <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that's where it went wrong but yeah uh i liked it uh, and i really liked it because it was about a band mm. getting together. It was like sort of loosely. Uh, but again, the songs were used as just little devices. They didn't further any sort of plot, really. Yeah. yeah. So I, I assume Viva Forever would have been similar to that. But mm. I, I don't... We'll, we'll probably never know. No. Actually. Unless I did some real digging. Mm. Got mates who saw it. We're like, Come on then. I really want to see the X Factor musical. I can't sing. I can't sing. Yeah, I saw that. And I, and I loved it. Hilarious. I... Um, so jealous, <laughs> but that closed I, after a few weeks. I go and I know same treatment. I know because it's a it's seen as a, well. It was written by Harry Hill. Yep. So again, written by a, com- a comedic a comedian such comedic actor. Yeah, and it was produced. Well, I think that had the um, misfortune of you know being another Simon Cowell project. True, Simon Cowell vanity project. True, and but but the thing is. I think that was a money thing that that closed mm. because they spent a stupid amount on it yeah. and it's hard to make it back in theatre unless it's running for years and years. Mm. That's like, And it did a little bit of a tour first and the set was huge and then it mm. went into the Palladium which is one of the biggest houses in the West End. Yeah. And I don't think it, the producers really think thought it was going to be that much of a worthwhile venture after it was already open. Well, they probably thought... It was like, okay, the X Factor's a huge thing. Yeah. It's guaranteed to do well. It, you'd think. And and I, I, when I saw it, I went to see it after they'd announced that it was closing. Mm. Because I was like, I'm not going to miss this. Because it it sounds great to me because it's all tongue-in-cheek. Mm. And Harry Hill wrote it, and I, I'm a big fan of, of him in general. Yeah. And it was bloody hilarious. And by the time I went to see it, which was like two days after they'd... Uh, announced that it was closing. They'd already put in a load of gags about it closing soon. Brilliant! And I was like, "This is amazing." Yeah. This and it was getting huge reactions, uh, but it still didn't save it. So no. those people got offered a job, did a bit of the job. A few weeks in, they think, "Oh, we'll be here for a year or two. A few weeks later, you, you, you lose. Done. Yeah, it's crazy. So I'm always scared that's going to happen. Mm. All right. Cool. So how? Let's get to the nitty gritty, man. Like, right. how did you get? cast in the Only Fools musical how did I get cast in the Only Fools musical it I was doing Les Mis at the time when just do you want to pick that name up just got, <laughs> well this is you, this you is, just dropped a name there do you want to pick it up like <laughs> clang but yeah. that was a big clang I've got to admit but yeah. but it's all relevant to the story because yeah. I that is so different from Only Fools and Horses it, how so you could, how, you could, how you so Lee you couldn't get further apart uh the, the only thing that's similar about it was that Only Falls the Musical is, is was going to be a musical and Les Mis is a musical. I'm in the same industry, but at two opposite ends of the scale. What, you mean the French Revolution and Del Boy have nothing <laughs> really in common? Or oh, I'm <laughs> scrambling for things. It's, I know. Not, it's not quite coming. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was doing that and I'd been doing it for three years. And then I heard they were, do, they, they were in works for the Only Falls musical. And I'm a huge Only Falls fan. So I was like, oh dear. 
You know that red flag emoji thing people are doing on Twitter right now? Yeah. That's what happened in my head. I, I, when they said Only Fools musical, I was like, oh no. I, that's kind of happened to me when I saw the poster for it in mm -hmm. the, on the tube and I was like, that cannot be good. This is what I thought, especially if you're a fan. But then I heard they were doing like the workshops where they were testing material out. Uh, and one of my friends uh, was involved. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, hey, look, Paul Whitehouse is putting it together uh, with Phil McIntyre, uh, the, the comedy producer. Yeah. Uh, and Jim Sullivan, yep. John Sullivan's son. I was like, okay, that sounds like the real deal then. Yeah. And he said, yeah, it is. Fast forward a, a few months, and they say, right, they're bringing it to the West End. And I was just about to leave Les Mis. So I got onto the phone to my agent and was like, you have to get me seen for <laughs> The Only Fools musical. This is like perfect because it will be doing something completely different to what I've just done, blowing open the opportunities all across the place. And I got an audition finally, but it took lots of knocking on the door because mm. they didn't want to see anyone they didn't know. And because I just had Les Mis, they were like, he's not right for this. Mm -hmm. He's not right for this. He's doing Les Mis. He's doing all that sort of... Is that a thing? Like you get tarnished by... You get put in boxes, yeah. yeah. But it's it, I understand it because if a casting director is looking at a whole load of names, they're going to yeah. pick people with the jobs that relate most to the one that they're casting. I, I kind of get it. But I said to my agent, look, if you do one thing for me this year is get me in that room so I can prove that I'm right for the job. Yeah. And she did it. They They called me in at like... 5 p.m. on their last day of auditions, which will mm. be the time where they wanted to go home. But the casting director had obviously just gone, oh, go on then, we'll see him. Uh, and I went in, did a bit of Chaz and Dave, uh, <laughs> and it went well. And Paul Whitehouse was in the room, and I, I left in the Tottenham Hotspur verses of nice. our, our son Gertrude, uh, and, it, and Paul ended up singing it along with me in the audition. I was like, this has got to go, this has got to be going well. <laughs> um, and then they sent me the script to the next week, read the script, and I was like, okay. This is, this is good. Yeah. As an Only Fools fan, I want to do this job. And then I went in about three or four more times, reading all the different characters, mm. uh, and then they offered me the job. But it was touch and go, but I was determined, is, is basically all it is. I could have just let that slide and go, oh, well, but mm. nah. Nice. So, because you're part of the ensemble, right? yeah. you often have to stand in for other actors, right? So who do you stand in for? I well, I'm in the ensemble, but I do so little because I stand in for other people. So if I happen to go on, they don't have to worry too much. They can just cut my normal part out. Mm. I'm so, I'm just sort of hanging around in the background just in case anything happens. Yeah. But I sometimes play Trigger, sometimes play Boise, mm. sometimes play Danny Driscoll. If you know any fools, he's the yeah. main villain with his brother Tony Driscoll. Uh, and Mike the Barman sometimes I play. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a character, like a multi-role character in the show uh, that crops up in every scene as a different different hilarious person. Mm -hmm. and, and if you've ever seen the Only Fools episode Dates, mm -hmm. uh, where Dell meets Raquel via the dating agency, the, the, the dating agent who sets them up has uh, a little cameo scene in the show, which is a bit of a scene stealer with the song and everything. But yeah, so it's different every day for me, really. Okay. Yeah. Who's your favourite role to play? Or maybe not favourite, not, not favourite, but which one do you find the easiest to play? Trigger. Okay, why? Because yeah. I don't change much about myself. Which, I don't <laughs> <laughs> which that's quite actually self-deprecating if you, yeah. if, you, if you know. The, I just, because I just, I feel like it's so ridiculous. Um, and he says things that are so stupid that the more normal you deliver it, mm -hmm 
taking into consideration the timing of when you say things, uh, it's funnier. Yeah. So I just sort of deliver it with a bit more of a London accent than than a bit more of a heightened thing because it's theatre. Yeah. Uh, but in my own voice, um, with all the sort of vacant thoughts that Trigger would have, and it, <laughs> and it's just simple. Like everyone else in the, the script is so good, it just everyone else is rattling off lines, and then Trigger always has the one at the end, the biggest punchline of all of them in nice. every scene. You, that everyone else sets it up and you knock it down basically. So it's it's kind of nice. Sweet. Yeah, it's my favourite by far. Have you seen Only Fools and Horses Arse then? No, I haven't, but I'm just very curious. Okay. I, I'm also like, did you say that you like switch around roles in theatre? Is that is that like a pretty regular practice? It is because I like. Well, I mean, it's an understudying thing. So because when a show does like a long running uh, right. stint, so I, that's that was on for a year before the pandemic closed everything down. Uh, people were entitled to holiday, like any normal job, and sick yeah. sick leave. So when that happens, I basically jump into the roles that I've been cast as. Um, oh, I see. Uh, so I have to sort of be ready to do whichever one. And like, just last week, it's a, it was our first week back last week, and I played three of those roles just last week. Nice. Because they're being very strict with COVID and everything. So if someone gets a slight tickle in the throat, they'll be like, stay away. Yeah. So then I'm on. <laughs> yeah. And, and right. so I got, to, I got to play three different parts last week. Mm. But, th- cool. but this week, none. I had a chill week this week. No one went off. Oh. Which means next week it will be all systems go. Amazing. <laughs> I think. Uh, so did John Chalice ever come and watch the show? John Chalice did come and watch the show on the, on the press night and he loved it. He, like, he sat in the second row uh, so you could see him throughout the whole show mm. uh, and he was laughing his head off. He was, was like absolutely jo- like joyful. And, and there's a, an amazing image of the press night with mm. uh, the guy that plays Boise in our show, Jeff Nicholson, and John Chalice at the, at, at the press night party, both with cigars in their mouths with their arms yeah. around each other. Oh. And it, it's an amazing picture. And that, that was like the main spread of the reviews in, in the papers. Mm. Uh, and he praised it to everyone. Like on Twitter, he was very active and was always like bigging up the show and telling everyone to go and watch it, which is a big compliment from yeah. someone involved in the original. That must have been like a bit nerve wracking though, having someone, well, having anyone from the original cast in the well in the audience because there must be a part of you like a part of them who's going okay are they going to do this justice yeah i mean i people in the original cast but also like fans as well like everyone was thinking come on now you're thinking come on show us what you got yeah this we know this material Mm. put it in a musical then yeah yeah and but obviously yeah the stakes are higher when john chalice was there Mm. uh uh, is it Patrick Patrick Murray who plays uh, Mickey Pierce was there? Yeah. Sue Holderness who played Marlene. Uh, not not the not uh, Nicholas Lindhurst and David Jason though. They've stayed away. Have they? Uh, they have. Yeah. But, and I kind of get it as well because it must be strange. Yeah. Uh, to want to come and see it, but it is nerve wracking. And also David Jason's kind of he's a bit busy at the moment. He is busy, and so is Nicholas Lindhurst. Yeah. Like he was he was working at the London Coliseum at the time we opened yeah. to the Man of La Mancha uh, there so we thought well you might come mm. but they both said that they don't want to come and I, it's not a burn or anything I think it's why would you want to go and watch something it'll just be a load of people watching them watching, watching it the, yeah uh, and you don't want that no we don't want that because then it it sort of skews the show and they don't want that because that's just hassle 
Yeah, but it is nerve-wracking. Like even when Jim Sullivan comes back and watches the show, mm. even though he was involved with and worked on it, that's nerve-wracking because mm. that's his dad's baby. Yeah, you know. I initially wasn't going to get tickets because I thought it was going to be another Viva Forever. Because yeah. I looked at the thing, I looked at I looked at the poster, and with the greatest respect to whoever designed the poster, it doesn't sell it in the best way. <laughs> Initial, well, when I the one with the car, with yeah, on top of the car, it didn't sell yeah. it to me in the best way. It yeah. looked like um, the poster for for the movie West is West, which <laughs> is not. Whatever it is, what that is. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, there's always going to be skeptics. Anyway, yeah, from the poster or not. Yeah, um, but it's a word of mouth thing that didn't happen with Viva Forever that happened with us. Yeah, that, that uh, people came to watch it and then mm. started chatting on Facebook saying, "You've got to go. It's actually yeah. really good." And then audience rolled in. So I'm going to book tickets. Please now, do now that I've now that we've actually properly sat down because we've spoken about it, uh, but prior to doing this, yeah. But I'm definitely going to book tickets either for early next year or later or late this year. I, I think um, I think I've got some dates where I'm on for for Trigger early next year, so nice. we'll, uh, we'll sort it out. I mean, the guy that plays Trigger is amazing, but okay, we're mates. You got to come yeah, see me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so initially, we were going to talk about the green green grass. Yeah. However. Due to the death of John Chalice, we've changed it up a bit, and we're going to just talk about the man's career, which yes. will include everything from the um, the early days to the Green Green Grass, and well, I think up to the Green Green Grass. I can't really pictured that much that he's I mean he's obviously done a lot of work Benadorm Benadorm yeah, oh, that was, shit. yeah, that, yeah. that's 2015 yes big chunk 15 yes. to 18 I think he did Benadorm yes he did was a big part in that yeah which suits him perfectly actually last... when you think about it isn't well, it well, that's the thing with Benadorm right? it's basically carry, it's carry on on holiday isn't it exactly and it is you get every um, every one every British lovely has been in Benet has been in Benadorm yeah it is true yeah um, so let's start back to the beginning. I think from from my notes, right? His um, his first role in a film was is where has um, where has where has poor Mickey gone in 1964? Wow, in the 60s. Yeah. So he's been going for he start that was when he that was when he that was his first film role, right? His right. first televised his first televised filmed role. But before then. He was in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah, as as so many actors of that generation were, yeah. like especially the actors that were on TV mm. uh, and got famous doing things on TV. Often you look and they'd been to one of the top prestigious drama schools and they'd done loads of theatre. Yeah. It's just where it all starts. You don't go to. You might do that now where mm. you go to drama school just to be in film, mm. but especially in Britain in the sixties and previous. And even after that, you you go and you just do theatre. Yeah. And then the screen stuff comes after or on the side, mm. even though that's what makes you more famous, weirdly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I imagine he was great in, in all the sort of Shakespeare. Maybe he did stuff at the National. And, he, did, he did. Yeah, he was, yeah in, he was in the National. Exactly. Uh, most of those actors did that kind of thing. Like Leonard Pierce, who played Grandad in Only Falls. Yes. Yeah. Proper classical actor. Um, look. He did. Because yeah, he stayed with Shakespeare for... Years and years, John mm -hmm. Chalice did. He was, um, he was in Midsummer Night's Dream. He was in Midsummer Night's Dream. I believe that was nineteen. No, it was Richard Third in nineteen ninety five. 
in the 90s. 1995. Yeah, so he'd already done a load yeah. of Boise by this point. Yeah. Everyone knew um, who he was. Yeah. He was still doing all that and other he, stuff. He did, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he did Midsummer Night's Dream in 2000. Uh, I mean, I assume that's right. Like it, yeah. I, I actually didn't see that. I mean, 2000, I'd have been nine years old. Yeah, and probably, <laughs> but, but by that point, I would have been watching Only Fools and Horses. Yeah, and um, because I lived, I spent a lot of time with my nan, and who yeah. always put it on. Yeah, so I would have known who he was. Yeah, but I wouldn't have had any clue that he was doing theatre at the time. So I didn't see it, but I, I knew he was extensively even doing television mm. roles that weren't as big as his role as of Boise. Yeah, even though he was st- already famous for Boise. I think I, I think I did see that production. Really? Because I remember seeing. Like I remember going to see Midsummer Night's Dream when I was quite young because mm. my parents did take my parents or grandparents they did take me to the theatre quite a bit, and um, I do remember seeing a Midsummer Night's Dream. I can't remember if it was specifically that performance if he was specifically in it. Might have been. Might have been. Yeah. Might have been. You never know. There's there's so many productions of that. I actually yeah. went to see it recently at the Globe about two two weeks ago. Mm. So there's just always one on. But I I I wonder if he played. Did he play Oberon? No, I think he played. Ah, uh, now, you, now you're asking me. Yeah. <laughs> I can see him playing Oberon, but maybe that's because I can see him old, being a bit older. Arslan, can you look up who did John Chalice play in Midsummer Night's Dream? All right. Okay. This will be interesting. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he was in Twelfth Night as well. Twelfth Night. I mean, it, you can... In 2011. If you've done stuff with the Royal Shakespeare Company, usually you, you see the same faces cropping up in their seasons yeah. that they do. He maybe even did it in rep where they would do like a couple of shows of Twelfth Night and a couple of shows of Midsummer Night's Dream a week yeah. and swap them and then he'll play that role that night and that role that night. So mm. um, it it was kind of the jobbing actors thing to do is just if you've done stuff with the RSC, you'll mm. probably do a few little walk-on roles on telly. Yeah. Um, back then, now it's very different. Now it's all so, it's a different world really. But um, it's mad though that people wouldn't know him from anything other than Boise, because that's how people know him. Yeah. But he's he was in bloody he was he was in um he was in Doctor Who. Back in the day. Back in the early day. Doctor Who. He yeah. was yeah the, in nineteen seventy six. Yeah. So that would have probably been the Tom Baker days. Uh, seventy six would have been. I'm not a Doctor Who nerd, but what? I, Get out! I'm not, I, Get out! Honestly, I'm not. And, and <laughs> do you know what? That I think that's because I've not watched the new ones intently. Okay. I watched a bit of David Tennant, but I never got really into it. I feel like if I'd have got into it when the hype was big, I would mm. have gone back and watched all of it. Yeah, uh, and I know it's something I would love as yeah. well. I just I don't know why I've not delved in. See, I know I'm not here. I. I know of the original stuff, yeah, but I'm an Eccleston boy. Oh, uh, and he picked it back up. Yeah, right? that's it. Um, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, most of Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. Kind of gave up after. Uh, kind of gave up at Peter Capaldi and not really gone back since. But yeah. you know, I know some people who love his version though. Actually, they I mean, I mean it's everything. fine. It is fine. I can't. He, I, it's fine, right? But it is. Moffat took over, mm-hmm. and bless his heart, he is. Not the he was not the best thing for it because he did, um, he did about three really good, really well, I don't know, four amazing, terrifying episodes of the first of the Christopher Eccleston series mm. and the David Tennant series, yeah. And after that, they picked him up as a showrunner 
and everyone thought, yes, he wrote the best episodes. He's going to be able to do this. He's going to stretch out continuously throughout the whole series. No, bless his heart, but it just, just proves it's a different job. Exactly. It, really? Yeah. You just do a few, and then you get on as a consistent gig. Yeah. Who knows? That's true. Yeah. So. Um, back to John. Back to John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got sidetracked there. I just want to quickly say he played Richard the Third. Yeah. In yeah, in Midsummer Night's Dream. R- he played Richard the Third in, in Midsummer, Midsummer Night's, Night's Dream. Dream. That is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't but, think I don't think that is accurate. I, uh, that is. That's two different plays. That but, is oh, very. But it says on Wikipedia. It says um, he. Hold on a sec. Read it again. Read it out loud. Read it out loud. Boy, read it out loud. <laughs> he returns to the stage, appear in Richard Third, and... Oh, sorry. And... <laughs> and Midnight's... Midsummer oh, right, Night's Dream. Yeah, I was ahead of myself. Okay. Let's see who played it. One sec. I reckon it was Oberon. Yeah. Let's see. Um, this is so intense. I love it. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, <laughs> trying to really... Uh, one second. Trying to... Ooh. Wait, you guys keep talking. I'll just. Oh no, it. we're gonna listen. We're gonna wait. <laughs> <You're> gonna <laughs> just wait for it. Yeah, we're gonna wait for this. Oh right. This is gonna be like you know how in like deep <laughs> drum and bass when the beat drops. Yeah. <laughs> the music suddenly goes silent. Um. It's probably hard to find. Tr- yeah, I mean. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> He's sweating over there. He's sweating. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Sorry about that. It's okay. Keep going. Yeah, I'm just like culturalizing myself as I'm doing this as well. It's great. <laughs> You're learning so much. Chalice. This is why we got yeah. you here. John Chalice. Yeah, this is this is quality oh, yeah. A grade. Oh yeah. When you put a teaser up for this episode, it's just gonna be us going like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are they waiting for? Yeah. Tune in to find out. I love the awkward. I, I quite love an awkward <laughs> silence, though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Especially in, in comedy, if you don't like an awkward silence, then you ain't doing it right. <laughs> um, you got it? No, it's really hard to find for some reason. I bet it's not even around where he's because a, a lot of it, there's a difference between actually on that note, musical theatre and mm. and straight acting in yeah. the, in the programs where people put in their biog like what they've done and who they've played in musical theater it's always like they play this part in this show yeah this part in this show but in straight acting you never put what part it is it just says we've done this show this show this show you never know what part it is oh okay. and that's probably what's happened here that probably he did some <laughs> so, night's dream and that's that so we just bullied arsenal for no apparent reason <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get for leaving me for two weeks <laughs> i knew he'd never find it <laughs> oh dude but like i said like it's weird that he's only really known as boise yeah. That's what he. That's what they'd always ask him about whenever he was on Good Morning Britain or This Morning or whatever. Always, they'd always get him to say Marlene and just, Marlene, yeah, yeah, all of that. Um, but to be I, honest, it was so iconic. Like, yeah, I, I imagine a lot of people don't even know his real name. They just see him in the street and go, "Oh, it's Boise." I well, don't see him anymore. But like... <laughs> <laughs> they won't see him anymore. No, and if, if unless they see Jeff who plays him in the show, and yes. Like, because oh. he does look remarkably good because he's got the tash and everything. And, oh, fair. You know, it's... it's. I mean, when you get known for such an iconic character, I yeah. think it comes with the, the, the territory, territory, doesn't it? Like, uh, And I, I understand the frustration that people get. And I, Although I don't think he ever really got frustrated by the oh. look of it because he was always doing those sort of video messages to people. Mm. Um, 
like on cameo and things and bef- even before that started out he I know he did loads of like wedding uh, wedding videos me- videos yeah. for people and and whenever he was on those interview shows they said oh can you say say Marlene and he would do it yeah and he was so loved for the show whereas I think a lot of people get a bit fed up with the catchphrases mm. being thrown at them but mm. I think he probably always appreciated that that's what made him made him big but he was playing like this is what I find mad he always said that he he was always getting like sort of typecast as police officers mm. and doctors and just people with like sort of slightly more authority authoritative positions. Mm. And I noticed that like he did Boise from like nineteen eighty one to so two thousand three from yeah. start to finish. But in that time, he played a load of walk on bit parts as police officers. <laughs> yeah, and doctors. Yeah. Even when he'd already started playing Boise. Yeah. So that doesn't even go away. No. Even when you are playing this iconic character. Of course, because he was in um, an episode of My... Well, because he was in an episode of My Family. Yeah. But I think that was um, just after the Green Green Grass had started. Right, so that was what... 2007. Did that start in 07? I think the... No, wait. I think. So, 05. So, it would have been very much in the midst of it. In yeah. the midst of it. Yeah. So, 05... The Green Green Grass started, and then he did an episode of My Family where he played um, Marley from, um, I believe, Carol. Carol, yeah. I think that that was a Christmas episode where Ben was going back, was had to learn the meaning of Christmas. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, good casting actually. Well, Robert, Lin- yeah, Robert Lindsay, Zoe Wanamaker, Wanamaker John yeah. Chalice, and probably a host of others as well. Yeah, it's it's actually, I mean, My Family, I think, is a great great sitcom, especially because that was at the time where. It was like sort of a middle ground of sitcoms, wasn't it? Hmm. That, because the, the old school ones were were old school at that point yeah. already, and there wasn't any of the new sitcoms that came around. Like when the in betweeners turned up, it was in that middle gap. Or in the or the office. Or the office, yeah. which was a pirate, like I mean, that was trailblazing, really, wasn't it? Yeah. It, uh, and actually, it, on that note about Robert Lindsay play, uh, playing Ben and doing the Christmas Carol. He's actually since played Scrooge. I on, know. on stage. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is, which makes he's perfect for Scrooge. Again, like you, he's a very he's he's weirdly he's an he's a very very he's a very very accomplished theater actor, mm, theatrically is. trained. But his character Ben doesn't have a catchphrase, so I think because of that, he's not been typecast as the stern father. That is whereas true. with John Chalice. I don't want to sound mean or anything. There may have been some typecast in there. Without a doubt. Yeah. You can't escape it. No. Unless you make a conscious effort to do that. Yeah. But he, it looks like he just sat into it and was like, sweet. Well, that's I the way to get do these it. Gigs. This is brilliant. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Like, Why not? If you enjoy it, yeah. great. And if you're earning a bit from it, fuck do it. And if you don't like it, reinvent yourself which is hard to do yeah which is hard to do which is why I guess a lot of people don't do it mm. Michael Caine never reinvented himself well, no he doesn't need to <laughs> so he's Michael Caine he doesn't, exactly, well, exactly. He's, a, he's, he's not an actor anymore he's a writer you see he yeah, just he's retired re- now. he's retired from acting because uh, the, the roles were not coming in yeah. and, and he's so old as well <laughs> he's 88 years old he is yeah, that's quite a good impression it's alright isn't it I mean you know, <laughs> it's almost like I've had a lot of time on my head so I've been able to work on it you're but... rivaling Paul Whitehouse with your impression there <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him what Paul Whitehouse has done a Michael Caine impression yeah I, I, I'm not sure how if he's done it on TV or anything but he's always doing voices I think I think when you spit like spend I spend enough time with him yeah I spend enough time with him and he's it, he does more he does sort of half his own voice and mm. half some other some other character yeah um, that's just the way he is like he, he is exactly how you imagine him on 
from his characters on TV. He's, he's mm. got that sort of same energy. Did you ever meet John Chalice? I did meet John Chalice, yeah, oh at the press gosh. night. At the press night. He wouldn't remember me. It was so brief. <laughs> and I, and because it was the press night, I wasn't on for any characters. So I was kind of insignificant in that particular show. Mm. But I met him and said hello, shook his hand. He was really lovely. Nice. Said he, lo- said he loved the show. That must have meant the world. Yeah, yeah. It was... It, it meant a lot to everyone in, in the show because we were obviously worried in mm. the same way that you'd be worried as a fan that maybe this isn't going to go down well. Yeah. Maybe this is going to have the Viva Forever situation put upon it. I think that we've talked about Viva Forever more than anyone <laughs> ever has. <laughs> maybe we will bring this back. Oh my God, can we do it? Also, can we do it? Can we bring Viva Forever back, please? Can we, can we get Mooch like, to invest? Like, can we do this? <laughs> yeah. Please. Like we'll, Spice Girls musical, come on! Yes, well we do it here at Vauxhall yeah. Comedy Club. Yes, oh my God! All right, we're gonna get. <laughs> I've already got the cast. It. I've already got the cast in. We're gonna get um, Philly Hoff to be Scary Spice. We'll do, <laughs> we're gonna get Luke Chilton to be uh, Victoria Beckham. We're gonna get um, who else? We'll get Victoria Angeloni to be Baby Spice. Yeah, actually, uh, actually no shit. No, we'll get um, um, we'll get Alessandro Hado to be Baby Spice. We can get um, oh, come on, who else is there? Um, uh, need a couple more actual women in this. I mean, um, oh, what about uh, Kyle? Not you, Kyle. Uh, another uh, other Kyle with big hair as well. Uh, Kyle Legacy. Kyle Legacy. Kyle Legacy. As Ginger Spice. He could, he would be great. He'd have to he'd have to like zoom in because he's in Australia right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Luca, Luca, Lucas could be um, Lucas could be um, Ginger Spice. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. We're, we're good. We're done. We're good to go. We're, yeah, shit. We've All done right. it. We've cast it. Mooch, pay us, please. <laughs> They'll be like, who's this guy coming in trying to produce stuff? <laughs> oh, man. Like, um, where the fuck were we? We right. were talking about John Chalice. We were talking about his John other Chalice. roles and being typecast. Yes, and uh, then we suddenly went back to <laughs> yeah. Viva Forever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we were saying about how uh, he enjoyed the show, and that yeah. was the sort of massive seed of approval. Because yeah. He was involved from the start with the original, mm. and obviously he must have thought that it did it a good, a, a good sort of send send up, a send up. Like, well, I say send up. It's not a piss take. It's it was a tribute. It's a tribute to the show, isn't it? The original scripts. So John Sullivan started writing the musical uh, before he died, mm. and there was a few notes of a scene and and a song that he'd written, which is mm. actually at the end of the show. Yeah, and then Jim picked it up, but the scripts. The story of only our show weaves a lot of the original scripts together mm. in a clever way, but the whole the whole show is based around the episode dates, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah, from where Dell meets Raquel. Yeah, uh, but we play with the timeline. See, so because so, Granddad had never met Raquel. Okay, because he was dead by that point. Had never met Cassandra, but in our version, Granddad is alive and well. Uh, Dell's about to meet Raquel, but Rodney's already met Cassandra. Which messes with the timeline completely, but as a show, to give it that sort of nostalgic celebration mm. feel, and to get everything, in, it's been cleverly structured, and yeah. it's not like none of it's sort of shoehorned. Like I said earlier, everything's like carefully thought out, mm. which is what I realised when I read the scripts when I was auditioning. I was like, oh god, they've taken real care over this, mm. uh, and and the songs are a nice sort of accompaniment to the plot. It's more about the scripts, to be yeah. honest. Um, but there's a few excellent songs in there, like a few patter songs. There's a duet between Dell and the dating agent mm. when he's telling him um, what what sort of 
uh, girl he wants to find, yeah. and the song's called A Bit of Assault. <laughs> Uh, and it's a back and forth patter song, which which steals the show a lot of the time. Yeah. And obviously, we, there's the the main theme tune is in it. Yeah. And there's a cool little mashup uh, between the main theme and Hooky Street that nice. that's been done, and and the song that uh, Paul wrote with Chaz Hodges before Chaz died, uh, called Where Have All the Cockneys Gone? Yeah, um, that's meant to be like a really sad one. It's it's. And that and Paul sung that at, at Chaz's funeral. Weirdly. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's a, it's an uplifting song, but it's got such it's got that Chaz and Dave feel especially when you get the band involved that you can't help but think wow I mean that's got to be one of the last things he did before he before he died yeah which is which is crazy but it's got a whole host of different things music wise but uh, I'm I'm glad we've we've not tanked it you know because it, it, it could have gone bad yeah just didn't luckily yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, so did you watch the Green Green Grass when it was on? I did watch the Green Green Grass when it was on. I was quite hyped for it actually because yeah. obviously when you know that John Sullivan Doesn't created it as well, yeah, um, it's going to be in in the canon quite perfectly, and it's not going to stray from things that don't make sense. No. And that's sort of the first thing you look for when you're a fan of something, isn't it? You want yeah. it all to make make sense. Mm. And Boise was always talking about moving away and uh, moving to the countryside, moving to the countryside. Yeah. But obviously in Green Green Grass, it was forced upon him yeah. because the Driscolls were after him. Yeah. He ran away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I just love the fact that the Driscolls also appear in various episodes. They yeah. appear more in the Green Green Grass than they did in Only Falls. I've got, a, I've got a confession to make. I watched the Green Green Grass before I... Obviously, I knew what Only Falls and Horses was. Right. But I watched the Green Green Grass religiously on a friday on a friday night wow um so i did a bit of a, i went a bit backwards because yeah. it was the lead it because the i believe my family was the lead in to the green green grass at the time i see so you just carried on yeah yeah i just didn't move from the tv from the, from the sofa it does make you wonder how how much of that scheduling uh is the reason that some things do well. Oh, it's, re- it's, it's almost it's, imperative. Yeah, because would you have watched The Green Green Grass? Would you have gone out of your way to watch it? If, I probably... If, if it wasn't after my family. Here's the thing. I probably would have because I, from a very young age, I love multi-camera studio audience sitcoms. Well, there you go. I, I really would have watched it then. But Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have watched it, but it was just convenient. It was yeah, true. Different. And also in other situations, yeah. I feel like other people might not have, and yeah. they did. And I knew of the character. I knew who... The people were blah yeah. blah because I'd obviously seen bits of Only Fools and Horses, but yeah, I then went back and watched Only Fools and Horses because of that show, because of that show, and also I've got a show I've got to say after you've gone as well, Nicholas yeah. and Hurst, that was that was the thing as well, yeah, yeah, and and Good Night Sweetheart, Good Night Sweetheart, which yeah. in my opinion is excellent, yeah, I bloody love Good Night Sweetheart, but it it's that is so interesting that you watch Green Green Grass before only falls like that's amazing but it, it says a lot about green green grass though that it actually made you go back and re-watch watch, watch only falls yeah it means it stands up yeah um and the characters are brilliant characters are great but they've got a lot of backstory yeah you obviously hadn't seen no but you knew it was there one of the things you didn't really it's it's you didn't really for me i didn't need to necessarily know all the backstory because they're a family living on a farm with these really weird these really weird characters and they're meant yeah. to be reacting to these re- off the wall offbeat characters mm-hmm. and um, city meets countryside, city meets countryside but exactly. like wheeler dealer city meets 
backwards countryside. Backwards, backwards, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Countryside. Exactly. And yeah, so that with that formula, you couldn't really fail. It couldn't really fail. Yeah, it's a great idea from the off, really. And John Chalice was as brilliant as John Chalice always is. Of course. And the chemistry with Sue Holden. And Sue Holden is, as well. We can't fucking not great. mention Sue Holden. Yeah, and she loved the show as well when she came to watch it on that note. They're both avid supporters of it. Yeah. Which is I'm very grateful for because obviously they're the, they've been the most active acting wise out of the main lot other than like Dell and, and Rodney Nixon and Hurst, David Jason. Yeah, they they were still very much on the on the scene, like doing Green Green Grass and involved mm. with Jim Sullivan because Jim wrote episodes of the Green Green Grass. Well, he'd have had, he'd have had a co he'd have had a creator credit, wouldn't he? Uh, well, or executive producer or something. I think what happened was the first series of Green Green Grass was Green Green Grass by John Sullivan. Yeah, and he wrote the first series from the off, and then I think from series two, three, and four because I think there were four series. Mm-hmm. He then started giving other episodes. So from then it was the Green Green Grass created by yeah. Sullivan. And Jim Sullivan wrote, I think, four or five episodes of the Green Green Grass, mm-hmm. along with three other different people wrote some episodes. You know, I've got the theme song in my head right now. Yeah. The green Green Grass <laughs> and a country house and a way to come home. You know why Green Green Grass has that theme tune? There's a story behind that theme tune. Go on then. Uh, and it's the same... Uh, as the story behind the original Only Fools theme, because uh, you know John Sullivan wrote the Green Green Grass theme as well as the Only Fools theme, mm-hmm. and sung the Only Fools theme himself. Yeah. Um, and most sitcoms, it, I don't know if you noticed this, most sitcoms at the time didn't have any uh, singing. It was no. just instrumental themes. Like going back to Modern Family. Exactly. Exactly. Please don't copyright. Right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of copyright claims we can have on this. Yeah. Spice Girls, but uh, <laughs> we didn't sing. We didn't sing any Spice Girls stuff. It's just fine. No, and we won't. No, we won't. <laughs> Tell you what I want, right? What you really? really oh want. no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, zig zigger. Anyway, I uh, yeah. He wrote those themes because Only Fools and Horses is a weird sitcom title yeah uh, and the green green grass without explanation is a it doesn't tell you much about the show so he thought uh, apparently he wrote the songs to just explain only fools and horses work yeah and i want the green i want the green grass in a country house it explains what the show is about in yeah. the theme which i think is actually a really cool device yeah because in the green green grass they've they just want a place to call their home because they've been extradited from their pla- from their from their inner city from their inner city lifestyle exactly exactly that so it's, there's, that's the story behind the theme tunes, apparently. Have you seen Rock and Chips? I have seen Rock and Chips. He was also in Rock and Chips, wasn't he? John, was John Chalice? John Chalice wasn't no, in Rock Nick and Chips. No, Nick Lindhurst was in Rock and Nicholas Chips. Nicholas Lindhurst played Freddie the Frog. Yes. Freddie Robdahl yeah. in uh, Rock and Chips. Yeah. Who, turns out, spoiler alert, turns out to be Rodney's real dad. Yeah. Um, hence why I think they got him to play it, because there was yeah. that controversy in an early episode about Rodney... Uh, Adele and Rodney not being from the same father. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and Rock and Chips is more of a, a comedy drama, actually. Yeah. yeah it's, it's quite... Uh, but I loved it for that reason. See, I watched the first episode, and I, I'm going to go back and watch it, because mm. it is very well acted, and I like everyone involved. However, it did... Because it wasn't the studio audience multi-camera yeah. thing, it just didn't feel... There's something a bit off about it. Yeah. For it's, me. It's jarring. It's jarring. But it's well done enough for mm. me to go, right, it's something that I'm going to go back and 
give a second chance. Yeah, I think you should. I think you should because it's it. I will do, especially because good, good. <laughs> especially because like it, there's a lot of things. If you just go through only fools and horses and mm. take out the bits that are actually quite serious, dramatic moments. Yeah, and and look into the backstory of it. There's a lot to unpack, which yeah. I think was probably the idea behind Rock and Chips, mm. because obviously all the characters from the start go way back because they're always talking about Trigger and Denzel at school and yeah. Rodney when he was a child. Uh, and they just talk about it. They just mention it briefly. Mm. So already there's a whole host of events that you can dramatise. Yeah. Uh, but because the backstory has created like the events of Only Falls, it has to be quite serious mm. because it has to involve the Trotter's mum's sort of like abusive husband mm. and, and, and granddad being just as useless as he is in this series, but in a more realistic way. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. But because it's from John Sullivan himself, it's kind of hard to argue with mm. in a lot of ways because it's like, well, this is the creator telling us... This is the situation. The, the situation, yeah. yeah. Um, so he was... So John Chalice, mm. again, have you read the autobiography? I've not read the autobiography, but Jeff, who plays Boise in the show has it because it's called being boise isn't it yes it is uh and i think he's reading it and he's going to lend it to me nice. uh, after he's done with it i'm gonna i've i'm about to order it off amazon ah brilliant i'm gonna see if there's an audio book give some money to bezos yeah or, why don't you uh, he's he's doing it he needs to go to space again i well, think i think he, i i think man he with that divorce he, he needs <laughs> he needs all he needs all the yeah, support yeah she we, took him for every penny yeah like <laughs> that's enough i was having a chat with someone actually about how like what has she seen to get that good of a deal? Because she got something must, on him. There must have been. She must have so. There has to be something on him because he could have. There. Yeah. I'm. I'm not going to go into any conspiracy <laughs> yeah. theories on him, but like he had. She has to have seen something. Oh, yeah. Anyone who's that rich has done some dodgy, dodgy stuff. Like yeah. without a doubt. So she's allegedly. Probably- Allegedly. Allegedly, but... Uh, Allegedly. I am just going to go in and assume that anyone who's got that many billions of pounds... Dollars, uh, son. <laughs> and pounds and dollars. That many billions of dollars has done something underhand to get it and keep it. Allegedly. Allegedly, Jeff. Allegedly. But, yeah, it. you know, so she's probably been seeing all kinds of things. Could be any one of those things. Hmm. All right. So, John Chalice. <laughs> we should have just sung Spice Girls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alternative. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, later years, he was in, and he does what I think what every British actor worth their salt does takes a trip to Benidorm. Of course. Of course. And it's good writing as well. It's Darren uh, Litton, man. I yeah. love Darren Litton. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, it is carry on. It is carry on on holiday, mm-hmm. and he did. He played kind of the patriarch of a family at that and um, there, didn't he? Because yeah. he was. Um, who was he? It was the because it was the family after the Garveys, not the family straight after the Garveys left. It was the. Um, oh God, I, I lose track of it. But this is a good thing about Benidorm is that it, I, and why it works so well is that because yeah. it's a holiday place, and it's a show made for people that come in and out of it. Yeah. It's actually quite realistic because that's what happens yeah. in these holiday uh, in these holiday resorts. Yeah, you see, you're never going to have the same people there all the time. Some people will be the same, but then yeah. you'll have new people drafted in and out. Yeah, but I don't think he came in until 
the last couple of seasons. The last few seasons, yeah. So it would it wouldn't have been the Dyke family because they no. were at the same time as the Garveys, even though um, the main parts of that family did leave for the last couple of series. But it was just Ty, it was Tiger and his mate who were there yeah. the last ones. And um, Tiger was there when John Chalice was there. Yes, he was. Because um, that's Danny Walters who Danny Walters went, the one went on to be in EastEnders. Yes, yeah. he's been in every soap. Hasn't he? Yeah, I went to the same drama school as Danny Walters. He oh, was nice. the year before me, so that's the only reason I know who he is. I was like, oh, that's the guy who was the year before me. Yeah, turning up in Benidorm, and then he did EastEnders. <laughs> I was like. Excellent, but I know he works with John because he was posting loads of pictures of yeah. them together. So they did cross over, and he was Tiger, wasn't he? So yeah, um, and he was the patriarch of that particular of that yes. particular of that particular family. Yeah, because he was the grandfather, and then there was the his one of his well one of his children one of his kids and their family, and they mm. tag they tag along. Yeah, that's right. I, it. That, it's just that just sounds like such it just seems like such a, sh a show that you just kind of like relax into yeah i mean from what you see on the outside it looks like everyone who does the show has a great time on it yeah and, and is very close to it. and i'm not sure if john chalice had anything to do with the live tour they did you know they did a live Benidorm he did tour? he didn't that was the guy who plays mateo the guy who plays the gay hairdresser oh yeah um i believe what's his face geordie guy um uh was married to Denise Welch. Um Oh is his uh, name Tim something? Tim His name's Tim, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's it Tim. I know who you it's mean now. Yeah. Um, he was in Waterloo Road as well. He was. And yeah. he's fantastic. And I'm really and I'm really sorry that I can't remember his name. But like he played Leslie on the show. Yes. Les and, and he Leslie. Was on the live one. Yeah, I mean yeah. seeing the pictures go up. You see all the sort of headshots of people doing these tours. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, no, John wasn't. I don't think that John, again, correct me, anyone of John's family, if you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that he was a part of the live show. No, I don't. But, I, I don't remember seeing it, but I just wondered. No, but he, it just seems like in Ben, like when you do Benidorm, like it just seems like a show that you just relax into because you are, even though you're working, this is from listening to interviews with like Johnny Vegas and other people yeah. have done it. Right, um, it is like you're on holiday. It must be to an extent, yeah. Well, it must be to an extent because they actually film it on location in Benidorm. Yeah, and it is an actual running hotel that you can go visit. Brilliant. You can tell as well when yeah. you see it there. You're like, you can't recreate that. No. It, well, you can, but not without some effort. Yeah. And they wouldn't have had the budget to recreate <laughs> as accurately as they do. Yeah. Um. And they've got like a they've got a, a Mateo's bar which has all the yeah. uh, memorabilia and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I bet it's great business for them in Benidorm. Oh, gosh, yeah. Jesus Christ. But I bet some people who had never been to Benidorm go because they've seen the show. Yeah. I mean... Very clever, isn't it? I'd want to... I, at some point, do want to go to Benidorm just to see... Just to see yeah, I've never been, like. but I might do. Yeah. <laughs> Should we go? Should we do it? Arsene, do you want to go to Benidorm? Oh, uh, sure. Where is that? Yeah. With all the money we've Doesn't made. Doesn't matter. We're, you're going, forever yes, when I'm we done. bring Viva yeah. Forever back. Like, we can go... Um, it'll be like 200 quid. It's about 200 quid for an all-inclusive, yeah. innit? Like, we'll split it three ways. Yeah, we good? You all right with that? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. Done deal. Sounds good. He's not in. He's, 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 he's backing out. He's flaking on <laughs> no, this. He's, I know he's, it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So, it just seems like a role that you just, like... It, it, it did have some Boise-isms in it. I think everything does with him. It, yeah. it, because a lot of it's him as well. Because yeah. even before he played Boise, he was in an episode of Citizen Smith, mm. which obviously John 
Sullivan wrote right, yeah. and thought this this guy is going to be Boise. Boise. Yeah. But he was doing the Boise voice and Boiseisms in Citizen Smith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, I think that was just a John Chalice character choice. Yeah. That John Sullivan realized this can work as a full character. Yeah. With a with a backstory and a f- everything. And I think once you've done that for so long, you got, how can you get rid of it? You can't. Uh, and, and also if you're known for it and you get jobs mm. because of it, mm. it's a unique style. Yeah. It's not like he's copying someone else. Like that's just John Chalice. Yeah. And that's it. And and anything like it is just someone doing an impression of it. Mm. Okay. Um, this is gonna be a weird thing to say, right? But if you had to This is a question you're gonna find very difficult to okay, answer. Okay, okay. Very difficult to answer. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna find this very, very challenging to answer. Because I just realized we're going very much over time. But we're okay. gonna carry on, but we're gonna do it anyway. Um if you had to, how would you re? You had no choice. Mm-hmm. How would you remake Only Fools and Horses? How would you remake it now? Yeah, in, in this yeah. in this period of time. Yeah, A- and you have no choice. You've got to do yeah. it. <laughs> so remake it as in start again, new cast. It's down to you. Not a reboot. Down to you. Remake. It's down to you. We can do reboot, but reboots are essentially yeah. It's not because no, because a reboot would be carrying on. Or how remake you, or, it for now? Or how would you bring it back for today's audience? For today's audience, make it a hell of a lot more diverse. Okay. Although it was diverse for its time, yeah. But that's because South London was was diverse for mm. its time anyway. Yeah. But I'd have a lot more involvement from the diverse characters because Denzel was part of the group but was arguably the least involved yeah. out of that whole group of people um, and have less tropes in, like, Asian doctors Yeah, because uh, there's a lot of all of all of that but that's sitcom that's, cla- that's classic BBC sitcom yeah, which yeah. we kind of we, there's no and the thing is let me look into the camera and say this there's no need to take any more BBC sitcoms off the air we know that those things exist most people in their right mind who are of colour or whatever else are maybe they weren't they're not happy about it but we're okay with it there's no need to cancel them no need to take them off we know they exist continue yeah, for, for that for that reason, uh, but I, I'd 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 make I'd make it so it's m- much more. It's it's kind of like I mean it's not a sitcom, obviously, but EastEnders is suffering this problem now because it, there's a lot of diversity in EastEnders, but it doesn't represent what life is like in East London. No, because you don't get those little communities really that no. that stick together and have done for years. It's so split up now, so it doesn't it doesn't sort of relate or connect mm. and I think a sitcom needs to do that now as well mm. so if you were making Only Falls in Peckham it would have to represent Peckham now and there's a lot to do there Yeah, because actually there are good situational juxtapositions mm. for example the gentrification of Peckham which wasn't happening in the 80s and, and 90s yeah. but you could bring that into a modern day Only Falls mm. as part of the situation of the sitcom yeah, and set it in the same place mm. Uh, and it w- and if you were trying to have a Del Boy Rodney and Granddad slash Uncle Albert character, they would be very much in the middle of this. Yeah, because there's a big multicultural side of South London, um, 
and a, and a big sort of white hipster side, and they would fall somewhere in the middle, mm. which actually I think is would make for good comedy. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I think it'd be easier to remake now than you think. Now, yeah. now I thought about it. Yeah, it's, I love answer, asking that question because people initially go, oh, "I don't know, I don't know," but then they know they have the answer. Yeah, because you don't think about it. No, and because bit remaking stuff is usually make what is what mm. make people go, "Oh God, roll yeah. your eyes, don't want to yeah. make something new," mm. but it would be new actually. So, wow, that's been a that's been a podcast, man. There you go. We covered a few. Yeah, we covered some great things. Um, yeah, Matt, thank you for coming on. So, do you want to look into your camera, which is just there, and say where people, where what have you got going on, and where can people find you? Uh, where, where people can find me, they can find me at the Theatre Royal Haymarket on Only Fools and Horses, the musical. You might see me if you come. You might not. Depends what I'm on for, as I've explained. Uh, but it's there Monday to Saturday, two shows Wednesday, two shows Saturday. So you've got eight chances to see it. Tickets uh, uh, are onlyfallsmusical.com. Uh, and that's that's kind of it. Sunday's no show. Mm. What about social media and that shit? Social media, uh, at Lee VG on Twitter. Mm. But the Lee is spelled L-E-E and then V-E-E-G-E-E. And on Instagram, it's the same, but with dots between the Lee, the V and the G. Nice. All right, Lee, thank you so much for coming on. Cheers, Kyle. Woo! All right, that was a podcast. Ah, cheers, dude. There you are. That was <laughs> sick. Have you got enough enough there? Oh, dude, that was amazing. That was genuinely better than I could have hoped for. Really?